you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. And now, Move the Sticks with Daniel Jeremiah and Bucky Brooks. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Move the Sticks. DJ and Bucky back together again. Buck, how you doing, man? Man, I'm good. I'm, I'm really good, DJ. Uh, it's been a really good day. Um, we have some great stuff that we're going to share on the podcast, um, this one and later. But the Urban Meyer conversation that we had was fantastic, man. <laughs> Just yeah. unbelievable. And people, we're not we're not talking we're not talking about the Urban Meyer conversation we had, a f- you know, a few months back. We're talking about a brand new Urban Meyer conversation. Had him back on to kind of take this conversation to the next level on leadership, team building, as well as uh, you know some of the individual things he looks for in players that we've seen go on to be very successful, uh, highly drafted players, highly successful players in the NFL. So we get a chance to really uh, do a deeper dive with Coach Meyer, and that's something that uh, we're going to put. The, the majority of that interview is going gonna, is gonna to run on our next audio podcast. We are going to play a snippet of it today on today's audio podcast. But, Buck, before we get into all the things we're going to touch on today, which is going to be a fun episode, I do want to uh, give some folks some news out there. I teased this on Twitter yesterday that we had some news we were going to announce on the show today. And that's because this is not just an audio world. This is not just a digital world. Uh, this is a television show now, Buck. We uh, we got big news here. Why don't you tell the folks what's coming up? Yeah, so uh, the Mood Sticks uh, podcast will now be broadcast on NFL Network. We will go Thursday. What was the exact time, DJ? Thursday? S- 6 Eastern. 6 p.m. Eastern every Thursday. Yeah, so this this is a great opportunity for us to bring the podcast to life. And look, nothing is going to change in terms of how we go about our business. But now we just kind of get to spread it to the masses and you get to see our pretty faces when we do it. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so we're going to we're going to have a lot of fun with that show. And uh, I hope you guys, if you've been loyal listeners and we have a very uh, loyal following here and we appreciate all you guys and all the nice reviews you've left that left us on uh, social media as well as on Apple podcasts. Um, so we've got a close knit family here. This move the sticks family. So I wanted to share that news with you guys that Thursday uh, you can catch the show 6 p.m. Eastern. So be on the lookout for that. Um, but today's show, Buck, we are going to talk about the future of scouting and how the coronavirus could change things going forward in the scouting community. Um, we're going to get into some of the top edge rushers. Uh, you're going to go ahead and download us on that, the top edge rushers uh, we look at in the NFL right now. And then we're going to air uh, a little bit of that Urban Meyer interview. And we're going to get to that at the top of the show here, Buck, because I want to get his thoughts and it was fun to talk to him about this documentary, this uh, The Last Dance documentary on ESPN, which uh, everybody's been riveted by because it, it does that deep dive into Michael Jordan and, and those Bulls teams that were so successful and what made him tick. Um, but Coach Meyer had some fascinating things to say about Michael Jordan and what he's learned from that. But before we get to Coach, I'd love to get your thoughts, your takeaways on the doc. Man, I love the documentary. And I, <clears throat> I can say, like, my – love affair with Michael Jordan goes all the way back to his time in North Carolina. Obviously growing up in North Carolina, being a Tar Heel fan, watching all those games. Um, 
look, man, I've always revered him. And, you know, some of that started when he hit the shot versus Georgetown as a national champion, then watching him grow and kind of become a dominant player under Dean Smith. But then when he goes to Chicago and he goes from being perceived as just a scorer who can't win championships to ultimately being the 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 best winner that we've seen in that game in terms of, look, being 6-0, and and I'm not saying that he compares with, like, Bill Russell, who won uh, 10 or 11 championships, but just the way that he dominated the era, two three-piece that they pulled off, to now go behind the scenes and kind of pull back the curtain, I think the thing that I learned uh, from him is just the competitiveness, um, just how much he loved winning, and that desire to win, um, ex- like, went beyond uh, the basketball court. Like, he just wanted to win at everything. And, you know, I think he's a special competitor because, man, winners just like winning. They want, It doesn't matter what it is, whether he's uh, flipping pennies uh, with the security guys, playing golf with Danny Ainge uh, before playoff games, uh, playing cards with his buddies. I know people that know him that have talked about how he refuses to let you get up from the table when they're playing something until he wins. And, I just think it's just a a great lesson because so many times we hear people talk about, I mean, we know this from scouting when we talk to young guys, Hey, you know, I, I I want this guy to, I want to be this guy. I want to be great, but man, are you really trying to do the things to really be great? And can I see that in your actions? Do, do they line up? And I think what we're seeing is a great appreciation for Jordan and the excellence that he displayed as a player. It's, It's fascinating TV to watch for me. Yeah, the thing I was thinking about was really kind of, uh, if you think about the special teams, and I think you can go to any sport, you'll find a lot of this uh, is, is the case. When your best player is your best worker and your best leader, like all those three things together, like the sky's the limit, man. Like you can see teams come and go with a, with a great player who doesn't have the other two, or you can see the great leaders that aren't necessarily the great players or the great workers that aren't either the other two. When you have all three of those in one person uh, like that, and obviously they surround him with help and they did a good job. I, I think, um, you know, Jerry Krause gets abused on there. Obviously I've, I'd never met him while he was alive. Don't know anything about him. The guy put together some pretty good teams, man. He drafted some good players and made some good moves, but man, they, they hated him. Uh, but, I think that was kind of my takeaway was that when you kind of look at those all-time great teams, they have that. Think about, think about you know, Tom Brady is probably the closest thing we have in the football world. Um, Brady wasn't even as talented. You know, you wouldn't say that he's, if you just had a you know, quarterback challenge, he was not going to be the guy that won that. But he was talented, just not the most talented. But then you had the great, the great worker, the great leader, and a great player, just not you know the elite player that Mike was. That's why what Michael did is so different than everybody else because he was undoubtedly the most talented player to go along with those other two qualities. You know, DJ, um, I think the terms that I use when when it comes to describing someone like Jordan is what we all aspire to, to kind of have around uh, our teams, and what we want are blue chip talents with blue collar mentalities meaning they are high-level talents, but they go to work like underdogs. And with Jordan, it's, it's, it's really unique to see a guy who is clearly the best guy in the room, the best guy on the floor each and every time he steps on the floor. But then you watch him run the sprints, and he's first. You watch him in the weight room, and he's doing extra. You watch um, and see how demanding he is of his teammates and his peers, but he is you know, kind of walking it like he talks it. That's uncommon, and it's hard. It's hard for a guy who could cruise 
to challenge himself to be at his best. And I think the best thing about the documentary has been the part that they've shown uh, when he was on set at Space Jam and those pickup yeah. games. And he's coming back after the loss and he invites all of the best players to come. And he not only wants to compete with them, he's studying them while he competes with them. And I just, I just believe that that is next level competitiveness um, from, I mean, an exceptional player and athlete. Yeah. I think the, uh, um, you know, the other thing that really stood out to me when you, when you studied that is the, the scene buck where he goes, they lose to Orlando and he's just come back. They lose to Orlando in the playoffs. And his personal trainer goes, all right, after the game, like, all right, I'm heading out of town. Like, just let me know, uh, you know, when you want to get together and start working out. And he goes, tomorrow. <laughs> like, I was just like, like, you sit, there were so many times in this, watching this show where you just kind of, you sit up straight and just go, this dude is wired so differently. Oh, I yeah. mean, he is, that's why I tweeted out, like, let's retire the word savage. Stop referring to these players as this guy's a savage. This guy's a maniac. No, no, no. There's only one savage and one maniac. This guy is on another planet with how he's wired. He's wired differently. He looks for anything and everything for motivation. Um, when Nick Anderson leaked out, like, hey, that 45 is a lot different than 23. <laughs> and you're just like, why? Oh, why? Like, why, why yeah. poke the bear? BJ Armstrong, you had a great night. Why? Like why, like, why take an opportunity to poke the bear? And then Michael just being, I mean, the ultimate competitor the next day. And the poor, was it LeBradford Smith clip? He didn't do anything, man. What's it about his fault? He's had a good night. Poor guy. I love it, though. But if that's your best player and he responds like that, you have no choice but to respond like that when you're a teammate. You know? And so I, I think that is the thing. He had, I mean, high standards for everyone around. But ultimately, guys live up to that. Um, and I, I just think it's a unique quality, and we'll see. And I think it'll be it'll be interesting to see Tom Brady and Tom Brady's imprint and impact with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers because it's one thing to be Bruce Arians and to talk about those things and to have a level of success it's another thing to bring on the GOAT who has won at the highest level he is going to not only challenge the players he's going to challenge the coaches with his presence and with his expectation so we'll get a chance to see how great Bruce Arians is because I think Tom Brady's going to challenge him to raise his game as a coach. Yeah. I mean, I think that's kind of the whole point of it is that this, this is a, this is a man who just forced everybody else to give their best and they might not like it. Um, which is something that I, I actually, let's, let's just roll into it here because I don't want to spoil it here because this is a conversation we have with urban Meyer, uh, about this documentary. And I think some of his insights you'll see uh, piggyback some of the things we're saying, but also some unique insights from, from coach Meyer, who obviously, uh, it takes a competitor, no competitor and, and, and urban Meyer's reputation in that regard is well known. Uh, so here's uh, coach urban Meyer's thoughts on the Michael Jordan documentary. Well, my whole family's mesmerized by it. And I, I think it gets better each week. Uh, I actually just spoke to a college football team. I got another one coming up and I opened up with that clip and the clip about, uh, I, I'm paraphrasing Michael Jordan where it was basically the, the, the scene was that he rubbed players the wrong way, which I think that's great. Uh, leaders, I've seen many leaders, great leaders fail because they're worried about, I hate to say it and sound harsh, but you're worried about feelings and, 
you know, at the end of the day, if you're a leader, you have a job to do, and that's elevate those around you. And Michael Jordan, that's one of the greatest when he said uh, winning, you have to pay a price. There's a price to winning, and there's a price to leadership. It's one of the greatest, from the arguably the, one of the greatest players in any sport of all time. That's one of the greatest pieces I've ever seen. And I've already used it a handful of times. I get chills as I speak about it right now. I mean, that that's they really well done documentary. But I hope people really listen with intent because you can get so much from this interview. I mean, he's awesome. Hey, Coach, one of the things that I've heard you talk about when it comes to looking uh, for players, recruits, you said that competitiveness is the number one trait. And looking at that Michael Jordan documentary, does that kind of tie everything that you believe in when it comes to looking for excellent players? It does. And, and we have criteria that's set. And the number one common denominator of every great athlete, every great coach, every great person in corporate America, every great uh, military leader is the competitive spirit. It's called elite competitive spirit. You know, and unfortunately, you look up the word competitor in the English, in the dictionary, and it says a person who takes part in an athletic event. I cannot disagree with that more. That's not a competitor. That's a participant, which is fine. And that's where people understand. That's the majority of people that walk the planet are participants. However, when you start talking about the Michael Jordans or the Ohio State Buckeyes, New England Patriots, Alabama Crimson Tide, you're not talking about ordinary. You're talking about elite. Well, Buck, I, it was great. I mean, it was so good to talk to Coach about that and, you know, talking about the price of winning. You know, it, there's a cost involved here. And I thought that was a great – it was a great clip from Mike, and I thought Coach Meyer did a great job explaining why it was important. Oh, uh, I mean, I think it was a great clip from Mike, but I think it was, a, it, it was even better uh, from Coach Meyer what he talks about. And obviously you can tell the way Coach Meyer talks how he's wired. I mean, he is an ultimate competitor. Like, he loves – winning and he loves seeing that in guys that are around him and I think you get the sense that hey man he doesn't mind ruffling a few feathers to get the desired result and I think leadership requires that and so as we take it back to Michael Jordan there was a lot of conversation about this documentary is going to make him look bad and hey, it's not all touchy-feely but I think what he's doing is letting people know leading is hard winning championships even harder and to do it as the best player and the ultimate leader sometimes it requires guys to kind of get um, their feelings hurt and I actually have a greater appreciation for Michael Jordan now after looking at this and I think what Urban has done um, throughout his career in winning and stuff I think he is letting you know hey man look I've made some mistakes along the way and I know I may not have been the nicest but sometimes you have to do those things to get every ounce of performance out of your teams and there's certainly not a lot of a lot of regret because ultimately it's about winning. Well, I just think Nick Saban has that that line. I can I want to know remember it exactly. It's either four it's either fourth and one every day or it's fourth and goal every day. Like that's the tension that that Nick Saban has around that building, and it's exhausting. Like you see all the coaches that have rolled through there. It's exhausting to to work under him because it's everything is on the line. A championship is on the line every day. I mean, when you hear the story about him and Steve Kerr getting into the fight, you know, we always heard the, you know, that he had, he had punched Steve Kerr, but never heard, I had never heard the full story explained the way it was explained <laughs> from both guys. But I mean, this is like a training camp practice. Like, 
good night. Like it was, it was literally from day one of practice that year. It was just a war. And he looked at it as you were going to live or die every single day. And I think when we look in the football world, Nick Saban's a great example. Of that Urban Meyer was a great example. Of that um, it's fascinating. Yeah, I think it's fascinating, and I think it it it, it has to be demanding like that if you're going to get that kind of um, performance. I think you have to find ways to create uh, pressure. What kind of pressure can you create? How can you sustain it? How can you continue to get your guys to give maximum performance? All those things matter. And the, the level of, of performance that is required to stay at the top exceeds what most people are willing to give out. And so you have to find ways to get it out of people. And so sometimes it takes being demanding and being more demanding than people can even imagine. Yeah, no doubt. Well, that was... Uh Again, a fascinating conversation. I think you guys will enjoy the rest of our conversation with Urban Meyer. You can catch that. Uh, we'll actually have some of it on the show on Thursday on the television show, and we'll air the rest of it on the audio program, uh, the audio podcast later on in the week. So be on the lookout for that. Uh, Buck, I want to talk about uh, briefly here just the future of scouting, how things are going to change. Because we've talked about this on the phone. Um, and I don't know that we've ever really talked about it on the podcast with what's going on in this current situation we are in with the coronavirus and how that impacts not only whether teams are going to play and people talk about it, is the NFL coming back, is college football coming back? Well, let's just go into the assumption that college football and NFL football are coming back. And so college football is going to have their regular practice schedule. They're going to have their full game schedule. What does that mean for scouts? And the first thing I thought of was, man, if you're a college, you're probably not going to want a bunch of these scouts that have been staying in hotels all over the country um, coming into your facility, what you're trying to, you know, maintain as, uh, as clean of an environment as possible. And so I, I think there's going to be a real chance that scouts will not be invited onto campuses. And if that happened 15 years ago, it would have been kind of a, it would have been nearly impossible to do your job, right? Because we were doing, using beta tapes, which you would get, uh, you had to go into the school physically to watch their games because we wouldn't get their games until later in the year. And you have to get those tapes shipped to your house. Well, now every scout can watch that on their, their on their tablet. So you have all the games. You don't need to necessarily go into the school to get the game tape. That's number one. Uh, number two, you would need to go in there to talk with the sources, talk to the strength coach, talk to the trainer, you know, academic advisor, all those things. Well, now we've seen not only could you do that over the phone, but you can do that over Zoom. So you could still see each other and communicate that way. Um, there's a way to get that information without physically going to the school. And then number three is, is body type. You like to get there and watch these guys' body type and move around. Well, they could make you know the first two periods of practice, which is glorified pat-and-go, which means you're just really playing catch out there, moving around, going through individual drills. You're not going to learn anything that would help you from a competitive advantage if an opponent got their hands on it. But you can still body type the players. So I think you can do all those things remotely, and I honestly would not be surprised if that's what the fall looked like from the scouting world. Oh, I, I think it very well could look like that. Um, I I, I wonder, because we always, as scouts, have to take um, the lead from the colleges, because you remember sitting in those rooms, and DJ, you remember we used to have to get all the restrictions in and highlight what the restrictions are, and so as you're building your schedule out, oh, I, can, I can't go to these schools during this time because they're quote-unquote closed, so now i got to rework my schedule. Um, I do wonder how many schools are going to be open. And so if many schools aren't open or if they're open just during these times, what are scouts going to do? If I can't travel all over, it, does it now become a remote job that we're doing from home? Um, 
you know, kind of tied to the computer and the TV at the house and I'm doing everything there. And then I have a scheduled set of Zoom calls that I have to make sure that I navigate and organize or our team's just going to have, hey, this is the one day where everyone can call in and Zoom. I think it's going to be a, I mean, there's going to be a lot of kind of balls to juggle uh, when it comes to, to planning how you go about scouting. And it will no longer be the way that we've always done it. And guys are going to have to adjust. And I just can't imagine how difficult or how challenging it's going to be to navigate around all the different circumstances that you have in various parts of the country. I think there's never going to be more of a premium placed on experience than now. Because it's not only have you been doing this job for a long time, that's one thing, but you've developed these relationships with these coaches and these sources at school. So they're comfortable with talking with you on the phone or talking to you over Zoom. When you go into, you know, because the schools will set it up. They'll say, okay, Tuesdays and Thursdays at Oregon, 8 a.m., scouts can log on to Zoom and we'll have our strength coach. At 9 a.m., we'll have the trainer. That's where you get kind of that generic pool information, right, which is going to basically tell you the basic stuff. You know, this is what he weighed as a freshman. He had a high ankle sprain his sophomore year. That's not going to give you the good stuff about how this guy works, how he's wired, their, their unfiltered opinion on the player, which is something that's very important during the scouting process. When you have those private calls, though, with those same people and you have a, an existing relationship with them, you get good information. And think back, you know, it's going to suck for the young scouts because think back when we were young starting out, you would you would kind of buddy up with an old head, uh, you know, which we would call those old scouts that had known these guys for years. And they'd say, OK, hey, look, uh, we're going to go talk to the academic advisor. Come with me. So you tag along with them. They'd introduce you. You get to know them. And then you got the good information. Um, and that's kind of how you started to build those relationships up over time. Well, if you're a young scout now, you're just you're not name. You're a name when you call the school and say, I want to talk to the strength coach. Well, he doesn't know you from Adam. So you're going to get the most vanilla bland information you could ever get. And that's why I think experienced scouts are going to be more valuable this year than ever before. And, and look, DJ is is great because for so long it seemed like scouts were being phased out. Um, yeah. and, and old school guys who listen to the program will understand there's a difference between a scout and what we call an information gatherer. An information yep. gatherer is a guy that can go to the school. He can get all the background and get the numbers from the strength coach and uh, talk to everybody and kind of compile all the character stuff or whatever. A scout, a scout can get that stuff, but what a scout does is he's an evaluator. A scout can look at a player. He can accurately assess who he is and what he is. And he can project what he will be at the next level. And we've been in rooms where you know you're with a scout, a guy who can tell you, hey, this guy reminds me of this guy. And hey, look at this play and watch this, Ben. It reminds me of somebody in yesteryear. And because I've seen that player do it, I know this guy's going to do it. That's the difference. And those teams that haven't invested in adding those guys to the program, adding those guys to kind of like the scouting circle or to the room, those are the teams that are going to fall behind because what we've seen, and I think we saw in the draft, the teams that traditionally have a bunch of quote-unquote scouts on their team understand how to find players, and we saw those teams get good players in the draft. 
and we're going to see, and I mentioned this a little bit towards the end of the process last year with the coaches getting involved, less groupthink, because you didn't have all the coaches coming together at pro days. So there was, well, now imagine what it's going to look like now, because what happens is scouts, you, you go into schools together, you see each other all over the road and you talk about players and you kind of end up forming this groupthink and unanimous consensus of who the top guys are at every position. Now, if every single scout is at their house, you know, you've got 32 West area scouts. They don't see each other at all. They're all in their individual homes, all watching players. You're going to get a wide variety of opinion on these guys. I mean, it's it's almost like the, uh, uh, what is it, the the telephone game or whatever. You put everybody yeah. in different rooms and kind of see if they give the same story type thing. Like, they're not going to have the same story, man. It's going to be wildly different evaluations. It's going to be wildly different evaluations. But I love it, though, because for so long, and we've seen it. We've been on the road. We've seen guys that, that kind of siphon information off people. They siphon opinions off of people. They sit in the back of the room, and they hope that it's a day where a bunch of guys are in there, and they, they can talk. just Keep listen. talking, boys. We'll get them right. Yeah. I, can't remember, I can distinctly remember one scout saying in a room one time, hey, just keep keep talking, boys. We'll, we'll figure these guys out. Yeah, we'll, we'll figure it out. And so what they do is they just kind of like sit and listen and swish all the opinions around, and then they spit out their report. You're now going to see the guys who can evaluate, the guys who have to study. And even though you're working at home, you're going to have to study more because you're not going to be able to lean on these conversations to confirm or validate your opinion. You're going to have to really dig down and, hey, man, do I really like this player? Am I willing to put a big grade on this player? Why does it merit this and those things? And it would be a little refreshing. I think um, – some of the old school scouts will finally get their due because I do believe, DJ, there was a time where they were pushing those guys out and they were replacing them with kind of the cheaper model, the cheaper guys that can kind of come in and do everything that you want, but at a very, very low price point. Um, I'm hoping that experience will be valued and that it really, really matters. Yep. Uh, I think it's going to be interesting to see how it all goes down, man. Uh, let's get to some of these edge rushers, Buck. Um, looking at what their traits are that you look for in edge rushers and then uh, some of the guys you're fired up about. You know, DJ, like it, it's funny, right? Because um, we get into this exercise about edge rushers. And I think what happens in our business, we get so conditioned to hear the same names, right? The same names over and over again because they've been stars, because they still continue to get nominated to go to Pro Bowls. But, you know, it's a, it's a different time. I think the traits that I look for um, in pass rushers, the first thing I look at is get off. Um, the guys that t- traditionally get 10-plus sacks in this league are explosive off of the ball. Um, Some of that has been my experience, like watching Bruce Smith and Derek Thomas and Reggie White and those guys, all Hall of Famers, play. But then of late, when you've seen these guys that have been able to consistently 12, 13, 14 sacks, their snap count anticipation and their first-step quickness jumps off the tape. The other thing that I'm looking for is how many tools are they – do they have in the toolbox? Uh, can they win with speed? Uh, can they win with power? Do they have enough wiggle to work inside? Do they have a spin move? Are they a pitcher that can throw a fastball, a changeup, and a curve? How many different ways can they get to the quarterback? And does that enable them to get there consistently? I'm looking for those things. And then the final thing is, can they finish? So much of being a great pass rusher is not just getting to the quarterback, but can they get them to the ground? And a lot of times we've seen these guys that can get there, but they just miss. I want to see guys that can collect and get guys to the ground. Uh, I'll ask you, what do you look for in pass rushers, though? 
Well, it's interesting because I, I went back and watched. I like watching the sack tapes at the end of uh, after the draft's over. I like to go back, kind of refresh my eyes a little bit, and watch some some pro guys. And I like to watch cutups. So I'll take their all their sacks from last year, and I'll just pick out a handful of guys that I want to study. And obviously, we've talked so much about Von Miller over the years. You know, we've talked about J.J. Watt, um, Aaron Donald, a lot of these guys we've we've discussed. But I want to talk, watch some other guys that have had tremendous production, but I don't feel like necessarily get as much attention as they should. And I started with Chandler Jones. Uh, oh, DJ, somebody yes. That's been, he is so good, man. He is so productive, obviously. But I want to watch him. There's not a lot of gimmies there. And we talk about get-off, right? That's the most important thing. He's got a good get-off. I wouldn't even say he has an elite get-off. What he has is length, and he's got unbelievable hands. And the, the other thing that I would say about him that really jumped out, Buck, is you kind of have your initial rush. Which is when you can you let you see guys win right off the snap, right? Boom! It's a it's a it's a move. It's a club swim. Uh, it's an inside counter. It's a win right now. And then a lot of times, what you have is your initial rush gets stuck. And then how do you how do you go off that initial rush? What's your secondary rush? And he is phenomenal with that. If he if he tries to bull rush a guy, right? He gets a tackle. He gets in his chest. He goes back one, two, two and a half steps, and then that guy sits on him. Right? He squats. He stops his charge. Then he has the ability to escape. He has. He'll use his hands. He'll free himself, and then he he picks up sacks. So that is that secondary rush is what makes him special. And I think sometimes we can get caught up with do you win right now? And a lot of times those are those are the pretty sacks. But a lot of the sacks aren't pretty. It's what you do after you've been blocked. I remember Howard Mudd flipping it around talking about offensive linemen. He said he will put them in drills where they're beat, and then I want to see how can you recover. Well, it's the exact opposite with the defensive lineman. You can see now that you're stuck, how do you escape? And I think that's one of the lessons I learned from watching Chandler Jones. You know, it's funny, DJ, like in ranking these guys, um, he was at the top. And it wasn't necessarily what I went searching for. But when you go looking and you, you're like, hey, man, this, this dude is a dominant player. And you watch how he works. You talked about he's a worker bee that wears you down. He has length. He has talent. He has counter moves. He has relentless effort and energy pursuing the ball. And then you look at the production. DJ, in six of the last seven years, he's had more than 10 sacks. Um, he has been absolutely crushing it the last two years down in Arizona. And the thing about it, he's getting sacks for a team that's not in a position that tees sacks up for pass rushes, meaning normally if you're on a good team and your offense is prolific, that gives your pass rush an opportunity to just pin their airs back. They can ignore the run and they can get it. This is a team that has been losing. For him to be able to be as effective and dominant as he has been on fewer opportunities is really like Barry Bonds. Barry Bonds wouldn't get many pitches to hit, but when he did, when he, did he knocked him out of the park. That's kind of how I liken Chandler Jones when I watch him on the tape. Yeah, he, he's outstanding, Buck. Another one that I watched was Daniil Hunter. Um, Daniil Hunter is another one who's been very productive. First of all, stop blocking him with tight ends because he collected a bunch of sacks on tight ends, which is stealing. Uh, that's just not fair. That's Those are Mike Zimmer sacks. But one of the things that jumped out to me with him is when they widen him out, he gains so much ground. I mean, it's like it's like two strides. He's like at six and a half, seven yards. Like, I mean, he's just he eats the ground immediately. And a lot of times, you'll talk about those, you know, D line coaches. Just they they'll do drills where they'll just put you on the line and say, just want to look at your get off, your takeoff, and then gain ground. You know, not a bunch of little pitter patter steps. Like, go go somewhere with your first step. And he does, man. He gains a ton of ground in a hurry. Love it, man. I, I look, I, I I watch him and forty eight and a half sacks. 
since 2016. Um, a guy that has really come on. And you got to remember, when he got to Minnesota, Everson Griffin was a cast meow. Everson Griffin was still playing at a high level. They were still regarding him as one of the top pass rushers in the league. Daniil Hunter kind of stole his thunder. Daniil Hunter has been a guy that has really come on. You talk about the way that he just abuses tight end, which is really silly that they're putting tight ends on him because he's just too good. He's fast. He's physical. He's relentless in his pursuit. Does a great job of getting him down. I love watching him. But a guy that also is in that, that conversation that maybe we don't talk enough about, and Cameron Jordan. Cameron oh, Jordan. Yeah. I, look, I, I don't know what you thought about him when he was at Cal. I did not see him blossoming to this degree. He has been dominant. I mean, dominant uh, since 2015. He has 57 and a half sacks. But it's not even the, the numbers. It's the way that he goes about getting it. Sometimes they're in a three-man front. He is inside. And it's hard to be a 3-4 uh, defensive end where you're playing inside and he's still able to kind of win and wiggle and overpower guys getting to the quarterback. And we have talked about the relentlessness that is needed to be an elite pass rusher. Cameron Jordan displays all of that. You see him work off the first guy, beat the running back, and then go chase him down. And I think maybe what I may have underestimated when he was coming out was just kind of like the motor. His motor runs hot all the time. And effort and energy gives you a chance, regardless of skill set. But when you add effort, energy, and skills, that's when you go to the top of the charts. Oh, Buck, look, trust me, Cameron Jordan – He's fun to watch. I, I studied him a little bit before the combine this year because I knew he was going to join our combine coverage. So I wanted to go back and refresh and just watch what he did uh, this last year. He's got the Eurostep. I love the Eurostep pass rush move, uh, which <laughs> yeah. it's, it's just literally taken right from the, uh, from the basketball court onto the football field. But he's got a great feel for that. And uh, he's always moving forward. Like he just he has a way of just kind of working through blocks with his hands and always moving forward. And he's just so big and strong, man. It's a, it's a nightmare matchup. I, I've always told the story about going and scouting him at Cal and seeing him condition in the early morning with the DBs uh, because he just had so much energy, so much juice and could really run. Um, so trust me, I've missed on a lot of them over the years, Buck. I lucked out and got that one right. But he's, uh, he's phenomenal. Yeah, he is a phenomenal player. You know who else is quietly a phenomenal player? I mean, I shouldn't say quietly um, and how I rank him. Um, T.J. Watt, you know, D.J. Yeah, like, he's really good. Like going, like going back, um, really underestimated. But, you know, the, the, the challenge in watching him at Wisconsin, like it was kind of like late comer. Like he kind of blossomed late when it came to the production. But last few years, 27 and a half sacks, and it's not the numbers. It's how he goes about doing it, man. He wears you down. He wears you down. He has great first step quickness. He has length, and he just has a feel for understanding how to get to the quarterback and his ability to get his hands off, um, to get going, to get skinny. He does a man. He does a lot. Of, he does a lot of nice stuff on tape. He is a really, really, really good player, and it's kind of good to see that he's getting his just due instead of just being known as uh, JJ Watt's little brother. Yeah, he's definitely more than J.J. Watt's little brother. Like, he's got defensive player of the year type ability. Um, he was one, too, that you only had the, the one year uh, as a starter there at Wisconsin, but then you had an elite tester. So you got somebody that's very instinctive, obviously has good genes, um, but very instinctive um, and then has the, uh, has the testing numbers to kind of back it up. You kind of knew that he was going to just – it was just a matter of time before that all came together for him, and then he took off. Uh, one other guy I would ask you about, uh, because the huge year he had last year was Shaq Barrett. 
I went back and watched him, and he just I just wrote down twitch, man. Like he just got tremendous juice, tremendous twitch. Yeah, his his man first step quickness, his ability to turn the corner. Uh, we we kind of categorize these guys as being bendy. He's bendy the yeah. way that he can turn the corner, dip and rip. Uh, he can drag his knuckles on the ground and continue to remain flat and kind of turn the hump. Um, hard to find those guys. The the jump in production certainly makes you pause a little bit because you're like, wow, where did this come from? But the trace have been there, and he has had his moments when he was at Denver before going to Tampa Bay. But right now, man, the way that he surged to the top, he has some stuff that is really fascinating to watch when you look at the tape. I think the challenge now will be, okay, now that you've overwhelmed people with the fastball, what happens when they're sitting on the fastball? Do you have other pitches? Does he have something else that he can win with? Um, that will be next-level stuff for Shaq Barrett. All right, well, then, as we wrap this one up here on the pass rushers, do you have it then? Do you have a one through five? How'd you end up shaking this thing out? You know, so so it's tough, right? Because here's where I got stuck. Like, you and I were kind of seeing eye-to-eye. Like, the first three guys, Chandler Jones, Cameron Jordan, Daniil Hunter. Where I get stuck at is I have this cluster, right? I have T.J. Watt, I have Miles Garrett, I have Joey Bosa, and I have Khalil Mack. All of them have been dominant. T.J. Watt, to me, deserves to be in that top five. Joey Bosa was hurt two seasons ago, bounced back, and had it. But then Khalil Mack are there. And I hate to be a tie guy, but I would have to put Joey Bosa and Khalil Mack there. Um, Even though Khalil Mack's numbers last year declined, he has 11 forced fumbles in the last two years. And there's something about the disruptive nature that I'm just fascinated about. He's a power rusher, whatever. So my my top five would be Jones, Jordan, Daniil Hunter. Um, I would have Mack and Bosa in there. And then I would have TJ Watt on the line just below outside looking in. Okay. And I'll say, I'll, I'll just make my prediction that as if Nick Bosa can put together a 16 game season, Oh he, yeah, he could he could end up at the top of that list. Another thing I would say is I think Miles Garrett, if he doesn't get suspended, he probably climbs up a little bit higher on that list too. Yeah, like all those guys are there. It's funny, man. When when you have to have hard lines at, at number five, uh, Miles Garrett has been fantastic, um, and you know he didn't even get a chance to really finish the year last year. Um, Nick Bosa certainly has the traits and the tools. He just has to be healthy. A um, lot of pass rushers. A lot of guys that have the traits that you look for. We talked about those two positions, quarterback and pass rusher being the most pivotal in the team building process. The league is in good hands because we certainly have quarterbacks and we definitely have hunters, hunters coming off the edge. No doubt. Um, Well, that was fun, man. Talking a little pass rush there. I do want to uh, give everybody at home one recommendation. If you're, look, we're all stuck at home. We're all quarantining here. So if you've got time to read a book, this was recommended to me by our buddy John Gordon was Legacy, uh, which is about the All Blacks rugby team um, in New Zealand. It is phenomenal. Um, You want to talk about, uh, you know, know, achieving success, maintaining success. Um, It's, I just give you, I'll just give you one little snippet here, Buck, so people can listen to it. And then uh, this is all throughout this book. But the beginning of the book, it talks about this story called Sweep the Sheds. And it says, you're never too big to do the small things that need to be done. So this, this, the author was embedded with this team, and, and he's talking about after a game was over. And keep in mind, in rugby, they don't have locker rooms. They kind of have sheds is what they have there. So he said, uh, this is after the game, something happens you might not expect. Two of the senior players, one an international player of the year twice, each pick up a long-handed broom and begin to sweep the sheds. They brush the mud and the gauze into small piles into the corner. 
While the country is still watching replays and school kids lie in bed dreaming of All Blacks' glory, the All Blacks themselves are tidying up after themselves, sweeping the sheds, doing it properly so no one else has to. Because no one looks after the All Blacks, the All Blacks look after themselves. And I thought, what a great story. And if you've seen the NFL Films clip of Ed Reed talking about how the players on that Ravens team before they won the Super Bowl would just leave their tape on the ground. And you have the volunteer firemen who work at the facility with the Ravens have, have for years. And, and the firemen would have to come in there and pick up all their crap. And Ed Reed went off on the team about that's not what champions do. Champions, you know, you pick up after yourself. You don't rely on other people to do that. You don't have them pick up your nasty crap. Take care of it yourself. Be self-reliant. And I, I thought about Ed Reed as I was reading that book. Yeah, I, did, I mean, that's... That's what happens is, you know, like going all the way back, uh, I've been around great coaches uh, in other sports. I think Anson Dorrance was the women's soccer coach at Carolina when I was there, and he talked about um, elite players make up their beds every morning because, like, high organizational skills um, is, is one of the traits that you get from champions. And so when I hear you talk about that story with the All Blacks, it reminds me of that, sweeping the corners, taking care of the details, leaving things in an orderly fashion. Uh, it speaks to let's leave this place in a better place than we inherited it. And so with the All Blacks, we've seen the success. We understand it. Um, I can understand that mentality and why it's also helped them win uh, and be the dominant team that they've been. Yeah, there's that great military book, too, that you know, talks about every day starts with making your bed. Like, you know, just doing those little things. Take care of the little things, the big things, take care of themselves. But anyways, I have enjoyed that book. So if you like some of the stuff we do on team building and, and some of that uh, culture building, I think you'll enjoy uh, Legacy. So check that one out. Uh, anything else you want to add before we jump out of here, Buck? No, nah, man, it's been a lot of fun. But guys, make sure uh, after this podcast, tune in and make sure you wait for that Urban Meyer podcast that we have coming. It is a great one. He is one of the best. I, I'm really, really excited what we were able to share. Yep, so be on the lookout for that. That podcast will be coming up later in the week. And again, uh, the TV show, Move the Sticks TV show, will uh, launch on NFL Network 6 Eastern on Thursday, May 14th. So be on the lookout for that. Uh, really cool opportunity for us, and I um, appreciate you guys joining us along on the journey. Uh, I do want to thank uh, Nabil, Mark, uh, Arjuna, everybody that's worked on the show. Uh, David Singer doing a great job getting us good guests each and every week. Um, it's been great. So uh, excited about all that we have going on here at Move the Sticks. Remember, uh, you can download the pod, Apple Podcasts, your favorite podcast app. You can find the videos, nfl.com slash mtsvideo and YouTube. Um, uh, YouTube.com slash Podcast is where you can find us there. So that's going to do it for us today. Thank you so much. We'll catch you next time right here on Move the Sticks. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish spring body wash and bar soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you.